God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, draw near now. Amen. The Old Testament uses the term backsliding to speak of those who have been close to God, but have allowed sin to take them away. You may know the feeling. I know I do. This falling away usually happens in subtle shifts. Minute tears slowly erode the foundation of our faith and where once we felt near, we now feel far. In a backslidden state, our questioning and doubt cause us to return to old ways and patterns of thinking and behavior. This drawn out sense of unknowing leaves us feeling lost and afraid, tired. We are afraid of a God we can't see, a God we can't find when we need God, a God who is not always available. We can't handle the truth of an absent God, an inaccessible God. And so we create one or bow down in our fatigue to the many idols that rise in crisis. It is in such a state that we find the children of Israel in today's reading of Exodus. The people are afraid of God, the Yahweh of their emancipation and have transferred their hopes to Moses. But when Moses starts to exhibit some of the same pesky characteristics as God, you know, that irritating unavailability, the unnerving resistance to our control, well, when that happens, they ask for a substitute, a distraction. Here begins the famous story of their forgetting, of an enabling and clueless Aaron, the worship of a bright and shiny new thing, of a covenant broken or maybe remade, an angry God and God's relationship with Moses. So today I'm thinking about us, the people of God, as we work to remember, reach for, and honor God without bowing down to idols or without settling for the false shell of a trumped up calf. What are the new ways in which we need to believe? How might we imagine new ways for our faith to take form? And I'm thinking about Moses. We'll know his wrath later, but today, I'm thinking about Moses as he stands in the gap. I'm thinking about Moses as the mediator of mercy for the people of God, a people who have lost their way. Just this week, the details of the first day of school had me scrambling to fit yet another helping of travel and time, another logistic into my already cramped life. I was doing the daily grind of business as usual, but nothing about it was normal. I was doing the best I could, but that day I found myself in a Zoom call in Barnes and Noble after picking up my daughter from school and before heading uptown for soccer. I'd traded in the college and high school, the middle and elementary schools that were housed in my home during the pandemic 
for subway rides, drop-offs, and pickups, and added an academic schedule of my own. All this filtered between the chaos of a multi-layered global crisis. I'm praying for a cure, stable leadership, the end of racism, poverty, safety for healthcare workers, teachers and students, the list goes on. By the time I made it to the soccer field to read up on church history between cheers for my son, I was exhausted and felt so very far from the God I love. None of this is normal. There are no boundaries between my life at home and the work I do outside the home. In fact, I'm working all the time and apparently everywhere. What the what? Can you relate to this? That day, try as I might, I couldn't shake the feeling of frustration and fatigue. Seven months into this pandemic and I'm like most hitting a wall. I'm holding fast to hope, but I'm finding it hard to see the way ahead. The system, systems of this world are crumbling. Leadership from our government is painfully absent. Millions of people are dying. But here we are trying to do business as usual when nothing feels or looks the way it used to. God in crisis can feel so very far away, even for people of faith. Is this busyness an idol? Something to do to numb me from the distance I feel from God? Am I afraid, tired? That's when I thought about the people of Israel. In today's reading, we hear the question and challenge of unmet desire desire to be with experience and know a savior. The people are tired of waiting. Before this, God made God's self known to the people in clouds and fire, in the theophany of smoke, in the elements of lightning and thunder. But in today's text, God isn't visible. God hasn't been present for quite some time. In the absence of God, they cast their hopes on Moses, and when he couldn't be found, well, cue the golden calf. The people get busy. They need to do something. So they craft and settle for a substitute. In the waiting, in the time outside of time experience of seeking without finding, fatigue set in. Covenantal memory dwindled. They forgot who they were. Now, to be clear, you won't find me taking off my earrings as any kind of contribution to the Golden Calf Fund. But I do hope you will pray for me. Pray for the relief from fatigue. Pray that the busyness of life, the pressure to push forward, that none of this becomes an idol for me. I promise to pray the same for you. Fatigue is a destroyer of memory. The incessant desire to do and produce a culture of busyness can and does make us forget. Its ability to numb us from feelings of vulnerability is unmatched. Fatigue keeps us from God and from each other. 
The further removed we are from each other, the further we are from the stories that call us back. The easier it is to fall back on what we've known, even when it's oppressive or unjust or just plain unsustainable. The further we are from each other and the stories that connect us, the easier it is to forget. We forget God, our savior. We forget the restorer of our souls. We forget our narrative of emancipation. It isn't so much about the calf as it is about the need for a centralizing symbol around which the people could celebrate, be together, tell and retell the story of a God who saves. The calf is a focal point. It falsely points to a way forward. We don't need it for worship. We just think we do. In times of crisis, when we can't or don't experience God in cloud or fire, could we be that symbol, that witness for each other? Could we remind each other that the only way ahead, the right path we seek, is only found in God? I think so. I pray so. It's why our in-person gatherings have been so nourishing, why even our virtual connections help fill the gap. In community, we remember, we map out the spiritual terrain of our faith in community and together remember that even in the darkest valley, we are not alone. The task of remembrance is shared. This coaxing back to the covenant or the rewriting of a new one is a process, but here we have a beginning and a God who comes back to the table first. And we have Moses to thank for that. Moses calls God back to remembrance. I love the reciprocity implied between God and Moses. We see their clear bond and authentic working relationship. Moses confronts God on behalf of the children of Israel. He feels empowered to do so. His tone is matter of fact, straightforward, without hesitation. He implores God to reconsider. He petitions God for mercy. And God doesn't reprimand him for it. Walter Bruggeman reminds us of the typical Christian discomfort with a truly relational God. Moses' back talk, his questioning of God makes us uneasy, but in the Jewish tradition, our doubt, our cries and requests for another way, and here our appeals for mercy are absolutely normal. God is not an unmovable God. God can, does, and will change God's mind. We see that evidence today as Moses goes to God on behalf of the people given to him. Moses takes on the responsibility of this gift and implores God for mercy. Moses asks God to remember and God is willing to forgive. This is the remembrance of participation of shared mission and ministry. As many times as we're called on to remember God's promise to turn the pages of our covenantal memory, Moses asks God to do the same. Moses asks and God remembers. And this flexibility, this bending, 
this tension of holding both mercy and judgment doesn't make God smaller. It makes God relational. It makes God great. The children of Israel are on a journey of transformation. In Exodus, we read about their path to understanding the formation of the deepest issues of their identity. Their backsliding, their very desire for the calf is part of the journey. Sometimes doubt is just one part of a faithful response. A faith walk is nothing if not a call to radical trust of believing beyond that which we can see. And that's what God calls us to. American exceptionalism and white supremacy are the idols being torn down today. The calf of the day is positioned to give us a false sense of security and couched between words like law and order, give us even the tiniest intoxicating taste of power. But the calf, despite the perception of strength, is coming down. It is a form of God and it will not last. The golden calf of our longing is before us, a capitalist blindfold, a temporary covering and distraction from the holy hard work of faith and trust. We cannot forget. We cannot afford to let go of the memory. It's more important than ever to tell it to ourselves and to each other. Our story of freedom is at stake. Is the Lord among us or not? Our beloved Deacon Denise posed the question a few weeks ago. Well, God could flip it and pose the same question of us. Are we with him or not? Can we handle the truth? Do we need a reminder? In the wilderness of a pandemic, we've got to push back with faith, but with wisdom too. Maybe it's time to scale back on the instinct to do more. Maybe some strategically placed nose would create space for rest. Maybe instead of the idol we create of work, we remember the why of our faith. And in our waiting, prioritize worship the sacred practice of stillness, silence, discernment. Maybe we take time to tell our story, the story of us as a people liberated, remind ourselves who and whose we are. Maybe we call on God to with us remember. This moment is not the end. There is a new and better, more hopeful world ahead of us. Of that, I am sure. The space of God's dream of equality and justice, of systemic wrongs made right, and a people armed with faith and trust is real. A world of life-giving, liberating love awaits. We'll get there. For now, it is left to us to wait, to be still and no. In closing, and in honor of the God, our Savior, who has and will continue to do great things among us, who remembers with us, 
I'll ask you to say, cry, sing, or pray with me the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Amen.